Welcome, everybody, to our kind of pod. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, and joining me is Michael Stanton. And also joining me is a new addition. Um, you say you live alone. You, you don't. And if you're following us on YouTube, you can see who Michael's with. That's that's Nick Holt, former UW defensive coordinator on your back wall. That is the cutout that we spent uh, way too much money on. <laughs> that You photoshopped a UW shirt onto um yeah. for the 2020 season when you could buy the cutouts for the stadium with no fans so uh yeah it seemed seemed very fitting after we talked about my white walls and and stuff in the last last week's pod that uh i would throw that up there a little duct tape uh pretty easy application uh now i got a little bit of color uh we have some it's alluding to some awful defenses of of UW's past but uh that's that's neither here nor there yeah, well, um, Nick is is a valued part of the our, our you know special memories of ours, and it's glad that he could join us. Yeah, that was um, that was probably the funniest thing we've ever done is do that and to have you dub not bat an eye as we gave them their old defensive coordinator back and to just sit in there. I, what what I want to know is if we had not done the photoshopping because we we spent a lot of time trying to get the photoshop right. If we just put him up in like wearing like red like he was before. Yeah, Western they, Kentucky. <laughs> I think they would have been just fine. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the the Photoshop lends itself well to it. So that's a great plug, folks. If you would like to find us on YouTube, we are there. You can search uh, our kind of pod on YouTube, find our channel, and uh, we'll start posting stuff there or uh, in the show notes to today's episode. If you're listening in normal audio channels, you can uh, find the link to us there. But uh, we are here not to talk about Nick Holt, not to talk about Sands Walls. But to talk about um, a, a fun little game last week, a little tune-up section, and then a, a very, very important game this weekend against Michigan State. Uh, but my first question, before we get into anything serious, actually, this is pretty serious. Were we duped about this Husky party thing last week? There was there was nothing about this thing. Yeah, it was kind of strange marketing by UW Athletics. Like, they made it seem they were using old logos and everything they made it seem like there's going to be some like retro or throwback type of situation and there was just nothing it was just <laughs> regular logo our regular jerseys helmets everything uh it was about as generic of a UW Husky football Saturday as you could get which is fine it'd be weird to, to burn sure. a like a retro thing on on Portland State but Agreed. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have teased it like that if uh, if I were the athletic department there. Um, they, e- they sent emails about yeah. it too. Yeah, and it Not felt just like, like on social media. Felt like an announcement was coming. Um, I don't know if you remember the the uh, commercial from a few years ago, where it's like uh, a, a guy knocks at the door and then someone answers it, and then the guy outside the door is like wearing like a centaur costume. And he's like, he's like, I'm here for the fantasy party. And they're like, oh, it's like a fantasy draft. Like, I feel like that's what what happened here. It's like, I, if, if I lived in Seattle, I would have showed up on Saturday in like the nines, like all my retro stuff and look like a fucking idiot. A bunch of balloons, maybe some confetti. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a Rugrats shirt or something. Yeah, it was it was. <laughs> It was uh, not a that type of Husky party. It was uh, more of a, a party in the end zone as the Huskies won 52 to six. And uh, so we'll pivot here from a Husky party to Huskies, comma, Sparty this weekend. Um, I don't know if, if you can. Well done. Do you want me to spill it out or are you good? No, no, I got that. Yeah. Deal. Okay. Yeah, nicely done. Um, so big week. We will see each other this week. Um, we'll we'll uh, uh, actually, I'll be there on Saturday for my annual game. Uh, one game a year that I can at least make. This will be this one against Michigan State. Is this the debut of your tailgate pizza oven? 
It is not, unfortunately. Fuck. No. Yeah, it's uh, probably going to happen against Arizona on October fifteenth. But uh, <laughs> there was it was a late uh, addition. We found a late second parking pass here. So uh, if I had known up front, like I do for Arizona, that I have a second parking pass, then it would have been probably game on with the pizza oven. But that has to wait, unfortunately. Instead, we will eat gruel or something. Yeah, hamburgers yeah. and hot dogs. Okay. Yeah, can't go wrong. <laughs> the classics. There. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Uh, first down here is uh, just nuggets of interest from Penn State. Um, <laughs> there was a day when this used to happen where we would play big sky teams and wipe the shit out of them and then, you know, just kind of uh, move on with our lives. But uh, this one felt a little special given what happened last year. And I do have to say that the Huskies won 52 to 6 over Penn St- or <laughs> Portland State. They are now 59 to 19 over their last two games against big sky teams. Um, so that's, that's a nice little stat there. Um, they only scored seven points against Montana last year. If you, if you need, need reminding, uh, but Huskies basically dominated the entire time. It's hard to know what really like matters and all of that. Um, unless something horrible happens like it did last year, but curious what stood out to you in, uh, what was basically a, a giant blowout. Yeah, uh, Michael Penix continued to be pretty good. He wasn't yeah. perfect uh, like like he seemingly was in week one, but he was still pretty dang good. Uh, 20 for 27, 337 yards, two touchdowns. He did sail a few throws, one of which was intercepted. So that's the first kind of blemish on his resume this season. Um, but he's, he seems to be most effective, I've found, in play action, uh, which I really hope we utilize that a lot this coming week. Uh, I think... His best pass of the day was off a of play action rolling kind of a, uh, to his right. So it would have been throwing across his body on the sideline to Jalen McMillan caught, you know, hit him in stride for a long game. I don't know what it was, but that was, maybe that was, a, yards or that was a just delicious throw for, for, for again, Penix is a lefty. So for him to throw, to roll yeah. right and throw that on a dime uh, to a running Jalen McMillan up the sideline was under, I think that was a touchdown. I mean, that was, that was just a, a beautiful piece of piece of art there from him yeah um so it's good to see just you know that hey this is actually hopefully legitimate rather than just one week of um a flash and then nothing at all so obviously michigan state is a bigger test than portland state but um was good to see that again um another thing a, a few notes uh jordan perryman didn't suit up uh, starting cornerback he got dinged up in the first game at leg injury against kent state uh, Juice Irvin played in his place at cornerback, who had converted safety. So that's kind of interesting to monitor that he's the first guy off the bench. Um, Mish Powell, the other corner, he had a few penalties. He was a bit shaky at points. Um, so I, I think that I'll, I, we mentioned it last week. I think that'll get cleaned up. But um, I think cornerback, and we haven't really had to say this like in years, but I think cornerback is probably the most, the biggest question mark on the defense right now. Um, yeah. It, that being said, there's a lot of talent in that room. So I think we're going to probably be okay long-term, but that's something to keep an eye on in these next few weeks, especially when we start getting kind of the meat of the, of the schedule. Um, another person that was out Roma Dunze um, says that that was more so precautionary and that he was available, fully suited up. I uh, just wanted to make sure he's hundred percent against uh, Michigan state. And then my other two kind of points of note here are uh, Jalen McMillan, again, looking great. Four catches for 127 yards and a touchdown, which included an 84. That was an 84-yarder, that touchdown. 
Um, he's now second in receiving yards in the Pac-12, only behind Jordan Addison, which makes sense given that Addison is the reigning Bolitnikoff winner. Addison and might then, go for, for 3,000 yards this year. <laughs> it's, yeah. Nothing is stopping him. Yeah, but uh, but McMillan's looking fantastic, and he's looking like, you know, probably an all-conference selection at, at this pace thus far. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's very early. We'll see what's going to happen. But um, and then the last thing I wanted to point out, uh, Richard Newton got some burn in the second half. He got 10 carries for 59 yards. Um, good to see him back after tearing an ACL last season. Um, so the question about that is, how does he factor into the running back rotation, given that we have Talapapa, uh, Will Nixon, Cam Davis. Cam Davis seems to be the number, the clear-cut number two now, at least from a rushing standpoint. It they use a lot of running backs in the passing game, so like you might see more of Will Nixon on a few drives because of that. But I think Cam Davis is clear, is solidified the number two, and so the question now, in my opinion, is Will Nixon or or Richard Newton as that number three? I think Nixon only got like three or four carries, not much mm-hmm. this past week. So that'll be interesting how that shakes out. I think I, I think I know this about you. You're big. Um, you're big like stable of backs guy. Yeah, like that, I think you have to in the game nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I think it's smart. I mean, the the, the idea of just like we have one guy, we're going to give him 350 carries, and that's our offense is silly. Like you, you want a guy to be fresh, um, not just for like your team, but also for their long term. I feel like it's just a smarter way. Um, but also you just have different skill sets, and I think that those you know, four guys and really five, if we ever see Sam Adams in the mix, uh, all bring something a little bit different. I think, you know, Telepop is probably the most well-rounded of all those guys, but um, you know, Davis and Newton are similar, just kind of the, the downhill runners. Um, so yeah, it was great to see the return of Dick, of Dick Newton, the fig Dick energy, um, all of the, the return of uh, his first carry where it's just like running through people again, you could tell how far he up he was. That was, that was really cool. Um the uh, a few other debuts we had Grady Gross as the uh, new kickoff specialist, um, alliterative name, love it. Uh, he's a, 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 a I think a preferred walk on or maybe he might be on scholarship. But either way, um, snuck onto the roster. Preferred walk on. There you go. Yeah, from Arizona, I believe. And he um, he was booting kicks through the end zone by the end of it. And uh, the, the coaching staff doesn't know you know whether they're, he's going to be um, the, the full time kickoff specialist or whether they'll pr- try and preserve his red shirt, but having a guy who can do that and also not fry Peyton Henry's leg trying to do that, I think is great. Um, Braylon Trice is a beast. Uh, that is, that has been kind of a surprise to me given that we had uh, Zion Tupul Fatui um, and Savelle Smalls and, uh, and Martin, like you, you thought that those three guys would probably be the bigger factors and Trice kind of came on at the end of last year. Trice seems like the best of of that bunch he was just destroying portland state tackles and granted that's what you should do but like nobody else is doing that so um he is he is probably the huskies most talented and and uh, dangerous pass rusher at the moment uh yeah i had all the stuff on adunze pyramid and jackson kirkland didn't play i think the 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 point about um meech powell is like this takeaway that we kind of had before the season and then after Kent state too, is like, I think we're going to get thrown on a lot and like teams are going to really try that. Um, and, and I think it's important to remember with Powell, he is a former walk-on like it feel he played so well last year in kind of a role where, um, you know, he had, he had uh, Kyler Gordon and, and Trent McDuffie on the team too, that, you know, it, it was hard to know how that would translate. And, you know, he's struggling a bit for sure. And he's getting beat deep. 
And uh, so, you know, I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, this, the cornerback depth is such that a former walk-on is now basically your number one or number two guy uh, with Perriman. So that's all interesting. And then I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for the, the Cam Bright welcome moment. Like you just haven't felt Cam Bright yet. Um, and for an impact player, a guy who made a lot of splash plays at Pitt last year, it's been surprising. I don't think he's doing anything wrong necessarily, uh, but just something to, uh, to keep an eye on is like, he just hasn't had his, his moment yet. And then just overall in the post game, uh, uh, the post game show with Tony Cashercone and Cam Cleland, former UW tight end, Cam Cleland said that this is therapy, like how well the, the offense is playing. And that's just so true. Like that, like for to have an offense that just does whatever it wants, scores basically at will, can move the ball in you know creative ways. It is so therapeutic for what we sat through last year. Like I said, this is a team that scored seven points against Montana last year. And uh, to have a team now that seemingly has one of those like really good offenses just feels so good. And I, this is a brand of football that I can, I can get behind. So um, all of that is, is good. So, you know, it's Portland state big blowout, but I think that there was some, some spicy kernels in there from all that. Yeah. And like after last season, you got to appreciate these type of games, regardless of who the opponent is. Uh, it's funny that, um, Cam Cleland mentions it being therapy because last year was, I believe, his first year in the booth alongside <laughs> Castrocone, which is just a horrendous year to start that. Um, so it's therapy to everybody, him and, our, and us. Um, one thing I want to mention uh, or want to go back to that you mentioned is if like two years ago, if you had told me that Zion and, you know, whoever in this case, Braylon Trice would, or sorry, Zion and uh savelle smalls mm -hmm. would be the backup defensive ends in two years i would have said you're crazy like no way um but that's what it basically is and i know that they rotate those guys on the defensive line quite a bit but i think that speaks volumes to how well braylon trice is playing and jeremiah martin and we can't forget that jeremiah martin is a team captain here so obviously he's well respected within that locker room and uh thought of highly amongst his peers so um yeah i, I Thrilled with the development of Trice. Um, I'll be honest, I haven't watched Martin too much so far this year, so I can't really speak specifically about him as much. But um, if he's holding out the likes of ZTF and and Savelle Smalls, and to Smalls' credit, he's looked pretty solid so far this year. Um, I think that speaks volumes to Martin's play as well. But yeah, Braylon Trice is the real deal. 6'4", 270. Yeah, that's some length coming off the edge there. Yeah, I think it, it's with with line play, you know, it's 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 a lot of like how just who do you notice? And to me, it's like yeah. you notice Braylon Trice. You kind of notice yeah. Jeremiah Martin. I think he's been in the backfield more. Really haven't had like that moment out of ZTF. Um, Savelle Smalls definitely noticed him more than we ever have. So yeah, I mean they're all they're all capable for sure. But I think um in terms of your one-two, it's it's Trice and Martin right now. Let's move on from Portland State to Michigan State. Um, this is a very big game. We will quantify exactly how big in just a little bit here um, in, in Husky history, but uh, just some rundown. I mean, Vegas has the Huskies at uh, three-point favorites. They opened basically at that. It's only gone a little bit higher than that, which is kind of interesting. I thought it probably would have started high on Michigan State, and then the home team discount would have come in the Huskies' favor, but uh, it started hot for the Huskies. Our, our buddy Bill Connolly has the Huskies losing by more than a touchdown. Um, Michigan oh, really? State, yeah, Michigan State is wow. 13th in S&P Plus in his book, and UW is 47th. And interestingly enough, he has U UW is 71st in S&P Plus in offense, clearly waiting for us to play a good team. Um, you know, for how well we've performed against Kent State and Portland State, 
I don't think uh, the quality of the competition, I think the lack of quality of the competition is, is holding them back from like getting numerical respect um, so far in that regard. So Michigan State, what are they good at? That's that's an open question. I think I think from my from my vantage point, from everything I've you know my forty five minutes of scouting on this team, it, it they, they feel like a team that's just pretty good at everything, and that's a great team. Like that that's hard to find, and and uh, you know offensively they're fine, defensively they're probably a little bit better than they are on offense, um, but that'll get you pretty far. Yeah, that uh, that interests me. That well, first off, I did I was not expecting us to be a favorite uh, right out of the gate. So I thought that was interesting, but yeah. um, then to hear that we're heavily, you know, the underdog, at least by S and P plus standards, um, I'd wonder, I don't know if you have it up in front of you, but what is Michigan state's offensive SP plus because they've played arguably lesser opponents than we have. Yeah. Um, they're they're 20, 21st on offense, 20th on defense. And I think a lot of that has to do of carrying over from last year because the Huskies were so terrible. Yep. Uh, on True. on offense um but anyone who has watched the huskies knows that this is just a completely different offense than it was last year yeah um to be fair so speaking of the spartans offense um they're led by Peyton thorn who is the returning starter he played in all 13 games last year for the spartans uh they won 11 and 2 they won the peach bowl near six bowl um so really solid season for him he set the school record for passing touchdowns at 27 uh, which I thought was actually kind of low, but then I was like, yeah, Big Ten football, Michigan State. This Kirk, makes sense. Kirk Cousins went to Michigan State, though. So that's, yeah, and that's who he beat. That's the record. He, yeah, he had record was 25 set in 2011. Um, so that's obviously their that's their main guy. He's not the most accurate. So he can't he could have some, you know, throw some errant throws this Saturday, something to keep an eye on. Um no surprise here. They're going to try and run first. They're run first pro style offense. They're going to try and run first. They had Kenneth Walker of the third last year. He's now the Seahawks. Who do they have now? They brought in a guy uh, out of Wisconsin through the portal called Jalen Berger. He's been outstanding for them so far. Called Jalen Berger. Yeah, we call him that. Yeah. He might be named it, but we at least call him that. Yeah. Um, he has like 237 yards and a handful of touchdowns so far through the first two weeks. Someone to keep an eye on is Jarek Broussard, who's their yep. backup running back, former uh, Colorado Buffalo. He actually won the Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year Award in 2020. So this was when Mel Tucker was the coach at Colorado, now the head coach at Michigan State. So that's the connection there. Um as for their defense, it sounds like from what I've read, their defensive line is pretty solid. Uh, UNLV transfer Jacoby Windman already has five and a half sacks through two games, which is pretty absurd. It kind of reminds me of the ZTF uh, 2020 season, kind of out of the gates. Um, and then if there's anything on that defense that might be shaky, it would be their secondary. They had arguably the worst uh, passing defense in the Big Ten last season, although they have filled some holes through the transfer portal. Um, but that is an area that, you know, panics could exploit. But I think the biggest key of this game, and this is nothing you know, out of the ordinary here, but the biggest key for the Huskies is just keeping Penix upright. If he's able to have time in the pocket and make his throws, but he has been the first two weeks, I think um, there's chances in the secondary to exploit in of Michigan State. Yeah, on uh, the Jalen Berger front, how big yeah. 10 is this guy? from new jersey so rutgers territory okay. commits commits to wisconsin and then has now transferred to michigan state so i mean he's he's traversing 
the the Big Ten landscape might end up at UCLA here um, if if you let yeah. him. Uh, <laughs> P- Penix against Michigan State. This is the 2020 game. Uh, I think yeah. they yeah 25 to 38 yeah 25 to 38 320 yards against them. Uh, two picks back then, but um, that's that's a that's a non DeBoer. Uh, game but then I think he had another really good game in 2019 that they might have lost uh let's see here yeah 2019 a loss at Michigan State Penix goes 33 of 42 286 yards three touchdowns um no picks so he has you know two pretty good games against Michigan State granted that was uh quite a bit of time ago uh what I watched obviously Berger's good Broussard is really good that that he's he's um he could probably start for a lot of teams in the country I forgot I forgot the Colorado connection he was he was like very very good when Colorado sprung off a bunch of wins um in 2020 and uh yeah that was what basically got Mel Tucker the job at Michigan State was how well they were able to run the ball a couple other names to look out for Jaden Reed number one for them very slippery a uh, thousand yard receiver last year. He's also a punt returner. He's like hard to tackle, um, make plays in space guy. And then on defense, look out for Cal holiday. This guy wears number 27. He's a white guy. He goes sleeveless. He's a linebacker sleeveless and gloveless. You will think that he's a kicker. He is not. He's a very good linebacker. He's like the, uh, he's basically the honey badger um, of, of Michigan state. Like he's trying to force fumbles and just gnaw at the football at every given chance. So Cal holiday, um, would not surprise me if he ended up involved in a turnover in some capacity. So yeah, that's, uh, that's them. And then Michigan state, I think what they're really good at is rush rushing the passer. You talk about Winman, they are fourth in the country in terms of sack percentage. So 14.46 percentage of the, uh, of the defensive snaps end in a sack, which is incredibly high. That's like, uh, you know, two out of every seven, um, plays that end in sacks. I, that can't be right. My math is terrible there. Seven out of every 50, three and a half out of every 25. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, you get it's it. a lot. We all, we all know what 15% is. We don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my, I used to teach math folks. Uh, funny enough. Uh, <laughs> there we go. And the Spartans have recorded 12 sacks in two games. So that is what they're good at. Like you said, Penix has not been sacked this year. If that can remain the truth coming out of this game, then the Huskies are in great shape because that's how Michigan State is able to uh, to create chaos and, uh, and to get you off the field offensively. So this is going to be a very good game. I mean, we were looking at earlier stats of war on Twitter basically has this as like a dead even matchup. Um, like it's like 37.2 for the Huskies and 36.7 for Michigan State. So uh, this is going to be not just a big game, but a good game. And I think two evenly matched teams, I think the Michigan State program is probably a little healthier than the Huskies program is just in terms of depth and like continuity with the coaching staff and things like that. But Huskies are at home um, and uh, certainly have the offense, I think, to exploit Michigan State and get them into a little bit of a, of a you know, a, a track meet and, you know, uh, beat them out that way. So I am extremely fired up for this game. I, I wouldn't venture to guess a prediction here because I think it's all over the board and I don't think anybody knows how good either team really is because of the teams that they've played. Yeah. I was, I was literally about to say, I am fired up for this game. Uh, <laughs> this is exciting. Um, to I just said track this... meet the, the Huskies being involved in a potential track meet. When the hell yeah. has that ever happened? <laughs> exactly. It's just exciting to have a quality opponent coming into Husky stadium, which doesn't yep. happen too often. Um, and then actually being seemingly halfway decent um, I guess we'll we'll figure that out on Saturday. But uh, we saw it last night in the 
And so we're recording on Tuesday. So we saw it last night in the Monday Night Football game, what a home crowd and uh, that energy can do to a team that probably shouldn't have won the game on paper. Definitely um, shouldn't have won the game. And like, yeah, that, like the Seahawks, like that stadium, Lumen Field was just crazy last night. And I feel like there's no reason why that can't be Husky Stadium. And I would be surprised if it isn't like that on Saturday. So um, yeah, and this segues perfectly into our next point. But um, I'm just ecstatic about uh, or excited uh, beyond end about this game. Yeah. So Huskies country, let's ride to third down yes. here, which is uh, <laughs> this is the biggest home game since blank. And immediately yeah. when I when I started this exercise, the first game, my, the first signal point in my head went to the Friday night Stanford game in 2016. Um, and I think that that feels very similar to that just in terms of that. But remember the Huskies were 14th in the country, I believe heading into that game. Um, and so the Huskies were, were much more established and uh, seeming, you know, on the precipice of things than, than the Huskies are right now necessarily. So what, wh- where do you think this compares to, or do you think that this is a bigger game than maybe that game or, you know, however you want to handle this question? I do still think that that 2016 Sanford game is the biggest ones. Um, based home, I mean, that, that was a huge game, but, I think this is somewhat of the, both of them were inflection points. Like the Stanford game in 2016 was like, are we actually good? And that's kind of what we're doing here. Just maybe at a lesser, you know, um, level than, you know, back in 2016, we're like, can we go to a Rose bowl? I'm not Mm -hmm. expecting a Rose bowl this year, but um, this could definitely launch us into, you know, vying for one of those top bowls, whether it be a, I don't know, holiday Alamo. I can't remember what the top bowls in the Pac-12 are <laughs> these days, but something like that, which, you know, we didn't go to a bowl last year. So anything would be, would be fantastic. But um, I also looked back and thought maybe the 2019 Oregon game, uh, we came into it uh, five, five and two Oregon were ranked like top 12. I want to say we were ranked 25th. Um, we had struggled a little bit. We had that one point loss. Uh, I think the lightning delay game against yep. Cal at that point. And then um, there was one other loss and I'm obviously I forgetting at, maybe it was at Auburn St- at Stanford. Oh, yes. Yes. At Stanford. So just if, uh, if you're looking for a loss in a Husky schedule at Stanford is usually yes. a place to, to uncover it. Yeah. The morgue, that is the farm. Yeah. Um, but uh, so maybe that game, but I think you still got to yeah, go with Stanford 2016 and Obviously, that game turned out to be fantastic for the Huskies. So hopefully yeah. it's exactly the same as that. I think inflection point is a great way of, of putting it. And if the Huskies are able to pull it off on Saturday, it'll feel very similar of like, oh, yep, this all, all the questions of is this real um, are are answered. Now, granted, I believe the Huskies won that game like 44 to 13 or something like that. So that, 44 that, to 6. 44 to 6. Yeah. So that answers that that made it extra special kind of after the fact. But even heading into that game, I think that the the feelings are similar um other games that might even stand a chance to or you know looking back at 2013 um huskies opened up the season hosting boise state who was ranked number 19th at the time uh they absolutely destroyed them in in the the opener of of new husky stadium oregon was number two in the country coming to husky stadium for college game day also coming off of a stanford loss in that that particular game oregon um kind of uh took care of us in that game but then before that like you have to go like a solid 12 years before because obviously the huskies were terrible for a good portion of this uh but 2001 for michigan. for a non-conference game it's at it's michigan coming to town number 11 michigan the huskies win that game the rock alexander game and the year before 
number four, Miami coming into town. Um, and so those two, two games are really the only non-conference games. I mean, the Boise state one, sure. But like, you know, that's just a different level. Um, granted that was Chris Peterson, Boise state. So from a non-conference home game perspective, this is either the first, second or third biggest home game we've had in 22 years, which is nuts. Yeah. I mean, what more can you say? Get there on Saturday, be loud, uh, get there early purple out. Uh, yeah, no, no word on retro clothing. That's, that's, uh, they'll just be sneaky about that. They'll, they'll have purple towels though, apparently. Purple so towels. Okay. that has been confirmed. All right. So I Sounds- can wipe my face when I'm like sweating <laughs> profusely out of nerves, I guess. I don't know. If you're going to be grilling, you might need the, the purple towel beforehand. Maybe see if you can. Yeah, get I know. Those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you should swing by the stadium before. <laughs> I like that. Hey, I'm going to be, uh, <laughs> grilling, <laughs> grilling some wieners. <laughs> yeah, hook you up. Uh, okay, well, back after popular demand from from last week, we are going to have our fourth down B club Klyabkov, uh recapping the action of the Pac-12 last week in classic Pac-12 fit fashion. It was both a great week. There was some ama- some really high highs, some of them happening in Madison, Wisconsin, and then also some incredible lows for for this conference. So last yep. week we divided them in terms of north south. Uh, we will continue to divide them up in weird ways this week. You got the mammalian teams, all the mammals uh, of the mascots, and I got the other teams. Um, so mammals gets you Cal, Wazoo, uh, UC Boulder, Oregon State, UCLA, and Arizona. And that the other category gets me the Oregon Ducks, Stanford, Utah, Arizona State, and USC. So uh, I have less teams, so you should begin. Okay. Are we going to hand this off back and forth? Then? Back and back and forth. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go in the exact order. You just read mine off. So we'll start with Cal versus UNLV. Okay. Um, not much to talk about in this one. Cal won 2014. Eh, it's like the most Cal non-com game ever. They just schedule these like so-so teams and they win by a few points and, and we're good. So Cal, Cal played like at, uh, Ole Miss a couple years ago. That was like, like that was really odd. They were like, it was like, whoa, what are you doing? That's not, yeah. <laughs> not your game at all. Um, yeah, yeah. See, UNLV is a perfect non-conference opponent for, for, for sure. So I'll leave it at that. Nothing more to say about that one. Yep. Oh, yes, uh, my turn. Okay, so uh, there, there's really two teams that were out for blood this week in my half, uh, and they are Oregon and Utah. I'll just do them both at once here. Oregon won 70 to 14 over Eastern. Uh, obviously, Oregon had just been spanked the week before uh, by by Georgia. They got plenty of revenge. Ty Thompson was able to come off the bench. Bo Nix uh, looked pretty good at five touchdowns, basically all in the first half. And then Utah won 73 to 7 over Southern Utah. Um, so just the question for, for Kyle Winningham and, and Dan Lanning, the two head coaches there, did you get all of your anger out? Are you, are you good? Are you, are you clear, clear headed after the sec, um, kind of bent you over in week one. And so, um, those were two frustration games, I'm sure for Oregon and Utah. Yep, for sure. Um, the next one I have is WSU at Wisconsin. If I had told you that WSU would go for two it would go two for 11 on third down would be outgained by 148 yards would not win the turnover battle uh, and would have the ball for 16 minutes less than the Badgers. Would you say that they would win the game? They, I, I, I think would, I would say that they lost by like 20. And what's crazy exactly. about that time of possession number is that the, the Cougars had the ball for the last five minutes of the game. They played keep yeah. away from Wisconsin. So uh, that was not, that was a grim 
time of possession number heading up into that. Yeah, for sure. Well, the Cougs ended up winning 17-14, if you didn't hear. Fantastic win for them. There was some absolute debauchery in this game, uh, two separate occasions where there was an interception and then a fumble on the return, fumbling it back to the the offense. Um, there was also a fumble near the end of the game by Wisconsin that basically sealed it. Um, so in typical fashion, fashion, the WSU game was just off the rails. Um, but good for the Cougs. That was a big win for the conference as well. Um, I don't know what Graham Mertz is for Wisconsin. Sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's awful. But I really don't know what Wisconsin is this year. They're ranked. They're obviously, I assume, no longer ranked. Who knows where they'll end up. But uh, it was a good game nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know if was if you learned a lot from if you're a Wazoo fan about Cam Ward or really anything about your offense that you didn't, yep. you know, was already a question after the Idaho game. But one thing I do know is that Jake Dickert teams are uh, a lot tougher and grittier than Mike Leach teams. I think that that's just the the way they play. I think that um, they're they're just designed to get in a little bit of a grosser game than we're, we're used to with Cougars, but. Um, yeah, it, it worked and the credit to them for, for pulling one out, uh, probably the biggest non-conference win in, of, of the Pac-12 season so far, uh, for the Cougs. I, I have nothing to go off, uh, to support this, but just, just off of feel, I feel like the Cougs, the players on the team probably feel like they, um, they're kind of behind Dickert more and believe in Dickert more than they did in Leach. Um, I, I think it. Yeah, I don't have to say much to tell you that Leach seemed incredibly cold and I'm sure it was kind of hard to get up and try and play for that guy because of his demeanor and just the way that he carried himself. So um, I, I think Dickert has been fantastic for the Cougs and I think every Coug fan would agree with that. So that maybe is one main reason why we're seeing more fight out of them in these type of games. Yeah. And I can't wait for him to take the Nebraska job next year. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I have the Arizona state sun devils who lost 17 to 34 at, uh, Oklahoma state in a game in Stillwater. Uh, the game was closer than that. If you look at, um, just post-game win expectancy, uh, so it was a 17 point margin, but Bill Connolly had his, uh, post-game win expectancy of roughly eight points for the Cowpokes there. Um, so the funniest thing that happened in this game was that Arizona state last year was 126th out of 130 teams in guess the, the the stat it's extremely arizona state to be this this bad at something it's like pass defense or something like that mm, that's that's a good guess but more uh think about Vontae's perfect in this one uh well like sacks penalties uh, arizona, arizona state, targeting <laughs> yeah right arizona yeah. state was 126 in penalties last year with 8.3 on saturday against oklahoma state they had 10 of them Nice. Herm Edwards asked about the penalties. Um, they, he said they were they were competitive penalties. There was a couple holding. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. That's the quote. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Competitive. Competitive huh. penalties. So Herm Edwards, I don't know, I'm not using the H there. Herm Edwards has uh, has made up a new term, competitive penalties. Um, I, I guess that's one way to dodge a question. Yeah. It's just it's make Fair a subcategory enough. of the bad thing. So congrats, Herm, yeah. for not fixing your problem at all. <laughs> nice okay uh let's see what i got colorado at air force uh this is just not good um this is really, really it's really bad it's really bad but the buffs are in bad shape they lose this one 41 to 10 this follows a 38 to 13 loss to tcu in week one um carl durrell i would be surprised if he's in this job by the end of this season so it's really bad in boulder 
Colorado, 53 plays ran, which is a very, very low number. That's like, that's like bare minimum. You, you kind of like get 50 plays just for like showing up. It's like the SAT, you know, thing. 162 yards on 53 plays. I can't even imagine how bad that was to watch where you're basically averaging, you're averaging three yards a play for not that many plays in an entire game. And I think somebody's got to check on Ralphie's pulse. Cause I think, I think that poor girl, her heart's given out. You know, what's funny about that is I'm pretty sure and Texas A&M ran like 20 fewer plays or 15 <laughs> fewer plays than that against Appalachian state this week. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, App State mucked it up uh, big time. So t- take another one because I only actually have one game left because uh, okay. USC played Stanford. Okay. Uh, Oregon State at Fresno State. This was one of three really exciting uh, nightcap games. We had BYU and Baylor this game. And then we had the Arizona versus Mississippi State game, which I'll mention here in a moment. But Oregon State at Fresno State, Battle in the Valley versus the Fighting Jake Hainers. Um, came down to the wire. The, the bees ended up winning it on a walk-off final play of the game from the two yard line. Um, that was exciting, uh, to say the least, uh, kind of reminded me of that UW win at Cal years ago, uh, in the Sark era, mm-hmm. uh, winning it God's on the play. final play. Yes, exactly. Um, Jay Kaner still threw for three sixty and a touchdown. Um, so good on him. Uh, can you take a guess at what FCS team the Beavs have next week? Ooh, um, it's a good one. Oh, it's, is it a Dakota? No, it is Montana state, which could be a Dakota. It's all the same, but didn't they, uh, didn't they, didn't they win, uh, like the FCS championship last year, Montana state. Yeah. I honestly don't know. Um, but I know they're in the top five this year and they're always in the top five seemingly every season, but, uh, yeah, they mm-hmm. get Montana state. The bees get Montana state next week, but if they can get through that, um, that will set would set up a pretty spicy matchup with USC in Corvallis in what is that week four? So um, really hoping they can get past the Bobcats because that'll be fun for uh, USC to come into town with a both probably undefeated. Um, so yeah, Montana Montana State made it to the finals of the FCS playoffs last year and lost to North Dakota State, who wins every fucking year. So yeah, I yeah. Mean, this is uh, not a team to shake a stick at. So hopefully the Beavs are, are spry and ready for that one. Uh, I'll take Stanford, Stanford, USC, 41-28 USC. Still no Terrell Bynum. He has not caught a pass yet for USC, wow. which is um, somewhat interesting considering I thought that he was probably, you know, one of the UW, best, best UW receivers on the team for the last two years. And sure. um, I, I don't know what his role on this team would have been, but would have loved to see him play there. But I don't know what's going on if there's an injury or anything like that. But just know he has not got a catch. The uh, the the really funky thing here is just it's so contrived. So Caleb Williams, the USA quarterback, transfer from Oklahoma. Uh, Caleb Williams is from Washington D.C. Was at Oklahoma, Oklahoma last year. Uh, last year the USC lost, I think, forty two twenty eight to to Stanford. But Caleb Williams for this game had the Stanford tree painted on each of his middle fingernails because he was trying to send a message that they hate you as hate Stanford. You don't care. Caleb Williams don't pretend to care. Lincoln Riley. You don't care. There's no, there's no actual thing here. Someone told you to do this to win favor with the USC faithful. And it's just, it's so, so fake. Um, but whatever. Yeah. That's odd. Stanford USC 
is not really a rivalry as far as I'm concerned. I guess it, so. it kind of is dating back to the to the Harbaugh game um, way back when. Yes, but like, like we, we don't hate the Beavs, you no. know? Like, How do you hate Stanford? That's like kind of the same thing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't hate Stanford. Like, just that's odd. But I hate playing. Whatever, whatever, for sure. I hate just going to Stanford. I'll probably never do that again. But yeah, yeah. Um, for a game that is the campus is phenomenal absolutely uh yeah, yeah. To, to, uh, to drop my son or daughter off for their first day of college yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, yeah that'll for sure happen yeah we'll we'll let you know in in about 20 years when we're on you know year 25 of this podcast so there you go um i believe you have uh two two, two mammals left ucla and arizona yes so to knock both yes i do uh okay ucla versus alabama state Game two of arguably the least impressive non-con schedule in the country. Uh, the Bruins knocked off Alabama State 45 to 7. They get South Alabama next week uh, at home after hosting Bowling Green in week one. Um, once again, a just an atrocious showing of uh attendance at the Rose Bowl. I think they had like, I don't know, 27K week one. This is the Rose Bowl, a hundred thousand seat stadium. And I think they had roughly the same amount this week one hand i can't blame the fan base these games are awful but at the same time it's like come on like husky stadium we had what fifty thousand this week against penn or, uh portland state so that this is just classic la fandom i feel like um ucla gets colorado uh this coming week or in week four so sorry they get South Alabama, then they get Colorado, which means they will likely be 4-0 when, when we play them in L.A. on that Friday night. Um, so that'll be an interesting test for both teams. First road game for us, uh, I believe. And if and, you think that they've had attendance issues on nice Saturday afternoons, then a Friday, Friday night, night in Pasadena yep. is, is not going to be a full Rose Bowl by any means. Yep, for sure. So something to keep an eye on, assuming, you know, if the Huskies were to win this weekend, that's interesting. Could be two undefeated teams headed in there. Um, and then the last game of the week was Arizona versus Mississippi State. This was the bookend to week two, 8 p.m. kickoff. So we're talking an 11 p.m. kickoff in Starkville, Mississippi. I th thought, found that to be kind of funny. Um, but Mississippi State did pull it out 39 to 17. Jaden Delora is sort of fun, but also completely wild at the same time, which is a dangerous combination. This is the former WC transfer uh, quarterback now for the Wildcats. Someone to watch on Arizona, even though they're probably not going to be that great this year, is Jacob Cowing. Uh, he's a transfer from UTEP, and he led the minors in receiving yards all each of the last three seasons. And he was ninth in FBS last season with 1,354 yards and was an all-conference USA first-team selection. So, He'll probably be right up there with Jordan Addison uh, as far as receiving uh, stats go in the conference. Uh, so just someone to keep an eye on. We'll, yeah. we'll be throwing the ball around too. He was eight for eight for a buck 52 and three touchdowns against San Diego state. And then eight catches for 46 yards against Mississippi state. So yeah. Uh, volume. There, yeah, definitely. So, you get a lot, lot of receptions. Ball. Yeah. That's uh that's a wrap on uh, this last week's slate in the Pac-12 for Club Klyavkov. You can uh, take off the disco glasses there. Next week, like you said, UCLA or this week, UCLA hosts South Alabama. Um, South Alabama won at Central Michigan last week, and that's like you know not the most impressive um, yep. Division One win, but certainly something, right? So that's the the South Alabama could go into to the Rose Bowl and, and scare people. 
Cal plays at Notre Dame. Now we we had just said that Cal does not get too spicy with their uh their their non-conference schedule. I would argue True. that playing Notre Dame this year might not be the spiciest thing in the world either. No. So who knows <laughs> if if Cal, you know, that'd be that'd be a great win uh for Cal, although uh not the greatest start for Notre Dame to to the Marcus Truman campaign. I just noticed that the over-under in that game is 41 points, which is what the uh, El Asico Iowa Iowa State over-under was. So, uh, yikes. That should be a lackluster game in a lot of aspects, probably. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, that's about right for Notre Dame, who just lost their quarterback, and Cal, who just always True. sucks at offense. Uh, or- <laughs> Oregon hosts BYU, and BYU coming off that Baylor win – um, looks pretty damn good. Uh, BYU did not have Pukunakua uh, or uh, one of the Rom Baylor Gunner. I have no idea. One of the Romney yeah. receivers uh, yeah. d- did not play for for BYU, and they're still able to uh, to pull that off. So BYU is a good team. Oregon's got them at home. Big chance for Oregon to prove that they are uh, at least pretty good. Uh, but I don't think anyone believes them as a real contender after the Georgia showing. But we shall see there. Colorado goes to Minnesota. Minnesota's pretty good. That's going to get super ugly. Wazoo hosts Colorado State. Beavs hosts Montana State. Utah hosts San Diego State. USC hosts Fresno State. Let's go, Jay Kaner. Jay Kaner had a comment Let's this go. week of like he wanted the USC offer, but he said something along the lines of like, uh, little little Jake was too small to to play for for USC. So you know, Jay Kaner wants to uh, to to win the California Cup and beat. Uh, win in the Rose Bowl as he did last year, and then also winning um, in in Troy in the Coliseum. That'd be that'd be a pretty good cap to his career. Arizona hosts North Dakota State. Never schedule a Dakota. That 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 could be a bad one. North Dakota State could 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 undo all of the good that Arizona had with that San Diego State win in Week One. Arizona State hosts Eastern Michigan, and then I think UW Michigan State is by far the uh, the money ticket of the week in the conference. Although Oregon BYU is pretty good. Yeah, that that I I just love everything Fresno State because I think feel like they're they're kind of killers in in a lot of ways. Like last year, that what was it against UCLA. Yeah, it was just an insane game. Um, I think this is a tough task for USC. We'll see if they're legit. Um, and it's kind of perfectly timed selfishly. It's a seven 30 kickoff. So like the Husky game will just kind of be ending uh, at, you know, during that first quarter of that game. So if things pan out right for us in that, in that game against Michigan state, uh, we might have to fire up the tailgate for a little late night viewing in E1. So something to keep in mind there. If uh, you feel like uh, consuming more after the game, nothing better than uh, waiting for traffic to die down and, and yeah. consuming a little bit more. Uh, oh, yeah. con- consuming can mean a whole bunch of different things in, in that food. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. Beer, beer, you name was, it. beer was the one I was looking for. Uh, yep. g- great cats of the week. I know we have one, um, talking about something we were talking about with friends earlier, um, with, uh, with a certain, certain currency, uh, that we'll get to, but do you have any, oh. do you have any non Mel Tucker Bitcoin, uh, <laughs> great, great cats this week? I do. It's ESPN assigning Mark Jones and Quint Kessner uh, yes. to the uh, UW, UW game. Uh, RG3 is also there, but you remember that Mark Jones and Quint Kessner were part of the crew that did the whole cupcake charade back in 2016 and um, basically got ended up getting suspended by ESPN. Or they at least weren't allowed to come back to UW that season or for a few seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as part of as ESPN employees. And um, Mark Jones has made some weird comments, negative comments on UW when it wasn't really like, it just didn't make sense. Like about us losing at Auburn, I think that was what, 2018. Yeah. Um, so, and it's a kind of ironic. I think the tweet was like, it's not like playing Montana, is it? It's like, he well, said, we actually he said, he said ended up losing to Montana. He said Washington took one on the chin. Hashtag where's Montana or something like that. Yeah, and, and then we was, lose to Montana like three years later <laughs> for for voting. Um, yeah, jeez. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's, man, that's a great the call. oracle that is uh, that is Mark Jones. He can see the future, um, but that is that's who I have. Go yeah. go ahead with your NF NF tucks. Well, talk. I I have one more before NF tuck. Um, oh, okay. I have Steve Sarkeesian and just the basics of late drive offense. Um, so Sark and Texas were very close to beating Alabama, but they left so many points on the table in the red zone, kicking field goals and settling early in that game that uh, could have changed the game drastically. And so this is this is Sark for him playing scared and coaching scared. Uh, I thought that that was, that was really dumb, especially at home, but there's just two things about any offense that I root for that. I just, I never want to see one, no fade routes, fade routes. The goal line is a great way to just throw it down away. It, I feel like this, the success rate of those isolating on one player who's not even really open and just trying to, to hit a specific spot and hoping that they can get up or get a pass interference is a really stupid way to handle um, the, the, the goal line. So no fade routes. I hate fade routes. And then kicking field goals in the red zone, unless it's fourth and long, especially when you're playing out of fucking Bama, right? You, yeah. you get the, that's, those are, those are four point plays. Every time you decide to kick instead of going for it um, in the red zone, uh, even last night with, uh, with Denver deciding to kick instead of, of going for it last night in, in Seahawks game, it's just stupid. You're, you're, you're taking points off of, um, off of your own, you know, you, you can't score those points. And so you have to take those opportunities when you can, especially in big games like that. Um, so I thought, I thought Sark, obviously Texas played a lot better than I think people expected, but come on, that was, that was a golden opportunity yeah. to beat them. And, and that was just squandered. Granted, I think if Quinn Ewers plays that whole game, they probably are able to, to win, but still, yep. They they those those field goals in the red zone were with yours in in that first half. Yeah, I, it, it, it's like you said, it's against Alabama. Like you gotta, it's yeah. time and place. Like when if it was against like Kansas State, like sure, like kick the field goal, you're probably gonna end up winning that game. Uh, no knock on Kansas State. That's just a random Big Twelve team. Kansas State's I, nasty this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but against Alabama at home, like it's like, I don't know, just, just go for it. It's not like the crowd's going to be, you know, like making that tougher on you or anything. Go for it. No, they'll probably, love a little. You, they'll probably love you more. Yeah. Come on, yeah, Sark. I don't sure. think, and I wouldn't take Steve Sarkisian as a guy who needs to be told to live a little either. So that's, uh, that's yeah. just interesting. Um, that that's not a function of his personality to NF Tuck. Okay. So, so for the unaware NF Tuck. And literally NFTUCK is a coin devoted to Mel Tucker, the Michigan State coach. And, and so I'll read the description. NFTs are what's next for Spartan Nation, and every dollar raised goes to charity, introducing unprecedented experience, a quote unquote ticket to practices and VIP events, and exclusive collectibles in NFT, non fungible token form featuring Coach Mel Tucker. NF Tuck is the first in the nation NFT drop for a coach and team that will give fans around the world the chance to be the first and only owner of NFTs from Coach Tucker. That is the worst sales pitch I've ever heard. That tells me absolutely nothing. Uh, 
a, a quote unquote ticket to practices and VIP events. Um, so basically what the Michigan State did is they just made a bunch of, um, of, of coins, Bitcoin, uh, 99 of them exactly, that were all available for 0.5 Ethereum, I think that's what it is, which uh, converts to $850. You get a picture of Mel Tucker and then these digital tickets uh, to access practices and VIP events. Uh, these things have not flown off the shelves as I did my crack research earlier. Eight of the 99 have been purchased. Um, so there are 91 NF tucks available um, to purchase. We spent a lot of money on that Nick, Nick Holt cutout. We will not be buying one of the NF tucks. You sure, man? I mean, it's only $77,500 if we want to buy the rest of them. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Investment situation. I think it's spot on, though, that you came away from that description not knowing what the hell is going on with that, because that's just my understanding of NFTs in general. Like, what the hell is this? Like, I can just screenshot whatever I see on my phone and then I have it. Like, I'd, I know I sound like a 75-year-old guy right now, but like NFTs make no sense to me. I will never buy one. Maybe I'll be, you know, poor and homeless in like 30 years after saying this and we'll go back to this comment here. But uh, yeah, makes no sense to me. So kind of spot on marketing from uh, State as far as I'm concerned. I think telling a bunch of Midwesterners that NFTs are what's next for them yeah. is, is, <laughs> is, is, is criminal. I think that that's, that's, that's cruel telling them that they have to get involved in this. Those poor people. Yeah. yeah. How will this affect the uh, harvest this year though? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> Hardworking people of Michigan do not need to be duped into tech Silicon Valley bullshit like this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do think though, that we should create an NF tie for, for Ty Willingham. Oh, I thought you were going to go like Ty France for the Mariners. <laughs> well, so I would, that would be better. Yeah. But no, I'm out on NF tie. <laughs> NF Nick, maybe, but NF tie, no. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. All right. NF Tuck gets our, our, uh, our great cat of the week or one of them. Uh, OKG of the week, you warned me before this that you don't have one this week. I got, so I got one. You, you figured it out. Okay. Yeah, you, I can go. Who do you have? Uh, the Sunbelt Conference mm, uh, yes. kind of probably goes without saying if you are a uh, cultural fan like the two of us, but uh, Appalachian State goes into College Station and knocks off number six, Texas A&M. Uh, let's see who else it was. Marshall goes into South Bend, knocks off number eight, Notre Dame. Um, and then we had Georgia Southern going into Lincoln, Nebraska, and basically beheading and come, Scott Frost. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and coming out with Scott Frost's Frost scalp. <laughs> yes, 45-42 in that one. Um, so it was probably one of the best weekends for uh, the Sun Belt. I mean, Georgia State was in a game with North Carolina down to the end there. North Carolina ended up winning by a touchdown. Um so there's some solid teams in that in that conference, and I'm so into the idea of them knocking off these big teams. We have this week, just so you know, Texas State at Baylor, who knows? Mm -hmm. uh, South Alabama at UCLA, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, UL, UL Monroe at Alabama. I'm, I don't think that one's going to go as well as it did this week. But um, yeah, those are some highlights for the Sun Belt this week. Okay. Uh, my OKG is the YouTube account, Matthew Loves Ball. Um, I once again, <laughs> he might be the leader. This might be the leader OKG he's, overall. I, I can't give him another one this season, but I think I've given him every one, one at least one of the last every one of the last three seasons. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Loves Ball has tremendous recap of, of every game, every game. 
And I thought that Washington or Portland State would be exempt from that, given that it was on the Pac-12 network. Nope. Matthew loves ball. His domain extends over all of college football. And as you figured out, within minutes of the close of a game, he has posted these 26 minute YouTube videos. And, and if you don't, if you've never a put freak. a YouTube, if you've never put a YouTube video up, it takes a while, even just, just to combine it all together, to edit everything, to export it, to put it up. It takes a ton of time. I don't know how he does it. He may have an army of, of people, but uh, Matthew loves ball. Thank you for what you do, because um, especially in Pac-12 network games where, Pac-12, you can't find like highlights very well and you can't rewatch games like you can with YouTube TV. Um, it, it is a, a godsend. So thank you for, for your service. Kind of like how on your Mariners podcast, you tried to track down where Gilmesh currently exists <laughs> in the world. Uh, I think we need to do this for Matthew Loves Ball just so we can shake his hand and maybe like buy him a beer. I think I, I, think I, I think I emailed him or something trying to get him on the show a while ago. No and, way. And I couldn't, That'd be awesome. I, I couldn't get it, but I will, I will keep trying because yeah, you should follow uh, up. I would love to know how he does what he does. Um, tr- like it, it's, it's like a dirty job segment with micro. Like what, <laughs> what, what do you have to do? How, how many family members have you disappointed in the last 10 years of your life? Doing yeah. This? So <laughs> let's get a look under the hood. Yeah. <laughs> See uh, how you operate. So follow Matthew Lowe's ball. Also follow us on YouTube at our kind of pod. Uh, follow us, you know, wherever you're listening to this right now, keep it up. Give us a five-star rating review, all that good stuff. It helps us uh, become somebody else's Husky podcast. And that's our goal. Um, so on behalf of myself, Michael, Nick Holtz, all of us here at our kind of pod, thank you for listening. Uh, Michael, do you have any two final words for the crowd? I do. Go dogs. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love how you select that every week. All right. See you, everybody. <laughs> See ya.